You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. Everyone, welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly, and I'm here with my friend and special guest, Robin Dillamore, who is, along with his wife, Claire, the National Director of the Burn 24-7 UK, where they are working to see furnaces of worship and prayer all across the United Kingdom. And uh, Robin recently finished his master's dissertation on the theology of the Tabernacle of David uh, at the London School of Theology. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you love worship, if you love the Bible, if you love King David, if you've read my book, David's Tabernacle, you're going to love today's episode. Uh, Robin and I have spent probably hours at this point, talking about the Tabernacle of David together. And I said, we need to just record some of this and put it out there for others to join in in the conversation. So thank you guys for being a part of the Presence Pioneers community. This podcast exists to equip you to experience and host the presence of God, because we believe God's presence changes everything. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matthew. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Well, take a few minutes and introduce yourself. It's first time on the podcast, and just let people know a little bit about who you are and what your ministry is about. Okay, yeah. I'm married to Claire. We live in Chester, which is in the northwest of England. Uh, it's kind of near Liverpool, if uh, those of you who know a little bit about the geography of, of our country. We, we've been kind of involved in worship and prayer in particular for the last 10 years or so. Prior to that, we were involved in church leadership in various different roles. I should mention as well, we have grown-up children. We've had four children altogether and four grandchildren, two of whom are actually in the States, in South Carolina, and two of whom are living right here in Chester near us, so we see them every week. Looking forward to being back in America to visit our, our son and his two sons. Uh, uh, yeah, we, as Matthew mentioned, Claire and I are the directors in the UK of the Burn 24-7. Uh, we have a, a burn furnace here in in Chester. We first got into uh, this whole prayer and worship journey actually through an event called David's Tent, which is a festival in the south of England, which goes on for three days, 72 hours of nonstop worship in a big field uh, in That's the awesome. south of England. And most people there actually camp. Uh, they live in tents. Uh, what sleep they do get, they, they go back to their tent and sleep. Uh, so it's a, a very much a British style festival. Most years, the weather has been good. We did have one yeah, when there was pretty epic rainstorms on Middle Sunday. <laughs> but on the whole, the weather has been good to us. Uh, but that was epic, and it was really at that event that we discovered a whole new level of our love for worship. We'd always, always been worshippers ever since we've known the Lord. We've always loved to worship, but something that happened when we visited that time and just met with God for ourselves in extended periods of worship, which is what you're able to do, of course, when there's worship nonstop going on for that amount of time. We could just go on a journey with God and we came away really changed. We'd been through a difficult season and found that just time with God in his presence in worship, more got done to heal our hearts where they needed healing and to actually hear from God than would probably have taken place in months of counseling. Uh, and we were just so impacted by it. Didn't believe it was possible to experience God's presence so richly this side of glory. So it was a life-changing experience for us. 
And we came away from that feeling we need to do something like that in our own city because the event is about five hours drive from where we live, which is a long, long distance for Britain, British people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of half the distance across the country. And people don't tend to travel that far for an event like that readily. So we thought many people won't travel, but if we put something on extended times of worship in our own city, then people can come and meet with God for themselves in this kind of way. So that's how we started putting on worship nights. And God had blessed us with the building, um, which we could use for those. So we, we started to put on monthly worship nights in our own city. And as a result of that, gradually became aware that there's something called Burn 24-7 that does the same kind of thing. So that's how we got involved. And eventually our worship nights became Burn 24-7 in Chester. And it was through that that we later were asked to take on the leadership of the, the UK Burn 24-7. It's amazing. So that tells you a little bit about us. Yeah, yeah, so good. I love that. Um, so we should probably just give a little bit of an overview uh, for what is David's Tabernacle. You mentioned the event called David's Tent. David's Tabernacle, Tabernacle David. Like I said, some people will have read my book or be familiar with that who already tune in, probably a lot of people actually. Uh, but it would probably be helpful to just give a quick overview of what exactly we're even talking about before we uh, dive into some of, some of the details of it. So just give us an intro. What is David's Tabernacle? What are we referring to? Yeah, it's a really important question because I'd been Christian going to evangelical charismatic churches for over 30 years, and I'd never heard any teaching on the Tabernacle of David. Wow. Um, it was only after getting involved with Burn 24-7, actually I first heard about the Tabernacle of David. And because we'd encountered God in a powerful way, as I've mentioned, we felt that the teaching we received gave us a biblical foundation for the experience we'd experienced. And the Tabernacle of David refers to a structure that David erected when he became king in Jerusalem to be the dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant. Um, many will know the story of how David brought the ark to Jerusalem after he was a, appointed king in Jerusalem. But we tend to often skip over the details about how he uh, didn't put it in the, the tabernacle of Moses. He put up a, a, just a simple tent structure pretty much in his backyard, although he probably wouldn't have liked to put it that way. He probably preferred to say that his palace is in God's backyard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, we get the impression as we read through the life of David that he really wanted to build a worthy temple for God, that he wanted to build yeah. God a palace that was better than his own palace. He, and for the time being, put a simple tent up, which I kind of feel was a makeshift, a short-term solution in David's mind. Yeah. But then God said to him, you, it's not for you to build me a temple. A son of yours is going to be the one to do that. So what was probably a makeshift solution in David's mind it ended up being the, the dwelling place of the presence of God for over 30 years while David reigned in Jerusalem, probably 33 years, which is an interesting coincidence because it's probably about the life uh, that Jesus lived on the earth as well. And some people would see a significance to that. But the other fascinating thing that David did was to introduce musical worship around the presence of God, yes. day and night singing and the Levites came into a whole new role. They'd been kind of under the mosaic covenant and regulations. The Levites had been the ones to move the tabernacle of Moses around and all the worship equipment that they had for slaughtering um, beasts and for 
putting showbread in front of the, the veil and all these other things. So the Levites have been responsible for all of those bits and pieces to do with the tabernacle of Moses. But under David, the, the Levites were given a whole new role of looking after the, the musical praise, the sacrifices of worship and praise around the, the Ark of the Covenant and around the presence of God and being gatekeepers, but also being singers and musicians. And by the end of David's reign, we know there were uh, 4,000 singers and 288 trained musicians to lead them in 24 families of 12. Uh, it was uh, an epic organization that David sorted out for the worship of God. And there's so much that's in that, so much uh, that, that, that we can unpack of the, the significance, significant in what David did. But one thing he made very clear was that he wanted everyone to know that God was the true king of the nation. That yes. even though he was the one crowned king in, in humans' eyes, that God was the true king. And when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it was like a coronation ceremony with a difference because he was crowning God as the king of the nation and mm. taking the lowly place of simply being dressed in an ephod, dancing before the presence of God as, as the Ark came in. There was never another king like it who honored God's presence like that. And that's probably one of the reasons why. God called him the man after his own heart. Yes, I love it. So so much profound about what David did in yeah. bringing the ark in. He was the first one to set up Jerusalem as the capital of the nation of Israel. He had united the 12 tribes together and established this new place for the nation and also brought the ark in, set it in a whole new tent. And uh, you may have mentioned this, but the original tabernacle tent was still in Gibeon, and yes, not. He, he set up a, a different tent to house the ark, and like you said, potentially temporary, uh, And but it lasted during his entire reign there. And the uh, revolution of the liturgy, to use that term, that Israel used to worship the Lord, going from the offerings of, you know, burnt offerings, sacrifices that they would offer in Moses' tabernacle to offering the sacrifices of praise and worship and prayers, and that those were seen as similar to those offerings. You know, like David said, let my prayer arise like incense, and the lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifices. So all of a sudden, praise and worship was the expression of that priestly ministry. Crazy, awesome, uh, revolutionary. And it's real easy for us, I think, in our day when we are used to musical worship. It's very normal that we would think, oh yeah, worship is singing to God mostly. And when we do that, God's presence is manifested in a particular way. And most people would just sort of understand that that's the case. But that was uh, not always the case. And David was really the one that introduced that into the biblical narrative. So David's tabernacle is significant for a number of reasons. And so, Robin, you have gone on off the deep end on this topic as I have, <laughs> which is I think part of why we've connected. Uh, I mean, most people, they would go, okay, I went to this 72 hour worship festival. That was awesome. I experienced the presence and the glory of God. Maybe we'll do some worship nights. Okay. There's a couple guys talking about how it's in the Bible. Great. So what we're doing is biblical. Now let's just, you know, keep doing it. But you have, which I appreciate, asked a bunch of questions dug into the scriptures, 
challenged maybe even some of what other people have said about the Tabernacle of David. Why? <laughs> and how did you huh. go from just, okay, I'm experiencing the presence of God, but now like I'm getting to the point where I'm going to even write a uh, dissertation on the theology of the Tabernacle of David. Just share a little bit more about your personal journey of kind of getting drawn into this in a deeper way. You know, I don't fully understand myself why <laughs> it has gripped me the extent it did. I can um, relate. I think one factor is that my wife and I have been in church environments for a lot, and, and in good churches, we've been had good teaching for many years, and yet to come across this teaching, we're both in probably in our late 40s when we first came across this teaching. We're now in our 50s. So we have a context of walking with the Lord to set it against, but suddenly felt this this is what we're discovering now. This is game-changing. Mm. And we had been used to a kind of paradigm of church where the time of worship was, nobody would say this, but would generally be regarded as the, the warm-up to the main event, the main event being the preaching of the word, yeah, like good evangelicals. And I remember re- around about the time where God was really starting to speak to both of us, Claire and me, at the same time about uh, the primacy of worship, the significance of worship. We read Bill Johnson's book, um, Hosting the Presence, mm. and there was a phrase he, concept really, that he laid out in there that really rang true in my heart. And he talked about how in, in the times of Israel in wandering in the wilderness, how the people of God would camp around the presence of God. I'm sure we are all familiar with how the different tribes were on all four sides of the compass with the Ark of the Covenant at the center. Uh, he said the people of God would camp around the presence of God, but today we tend to camp around a sermon. And mm-hmm. I really struck me and I thought we have been doing that and we need, yeah. to, we need to shift to camping around the presence of God. And I really believe it's that the Holy Spirit has been leading us on a journey. And I love those kind of prophetic journeys where the Lord takes you from one kind of destination to the next, to the next. Uh, and it really felt like the last 10 years we've been on a journey where he's been leading us. And mm. the themes that have become really important for us have been worship and his presence, but also community. And one thing we've, we've been discovering and we've been seeking to really been experimenting because we had the opportunity to do that is that how community is built around worship when God's presence is at the center of everything we do. So it's been a glorious, not always easy, um, sometimes yeah. messy, in fact, always messy, right. uh, but journey of seeking always to put his presence at the center and seeking to have worship as our number one response to his presence and seeing how he produces community as we pursue his presence in that way. Yeah, I love that. Maybe give a introduction to your dissertation and maybe how that came about and uh, sort of what, maybe in layman's terms, the best you can, what, what is the focus of your dissertation? From what I understand, this, like you said, this is not a topic that's been studied a lot. Uh, in many ways, it hasn't been taught and studied, especially in academic circles, very much. And I'm so grateful, actually, for you and a few others right now who are giving it some attention. And I think it could use a lot more attention uh, in the academic circles of theology, because I think it's it's very important. But how did how did this come about for you, so that you could even do this, and and maybe just give people a 
uh, introduction on like what, what your thesis was all about. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Sure, yeah. Um, hard to know where to begin. Uh, the Masters we did was not all about worship, but uh, it was a Masters in integrative theology. Neither my wife nor I have been trained in kind of academic theology. I studied this, in fact, we both did science degrees at Cambridge University back in the day. I then went on to be an accountant, spent many years working full-time as an accountant and had my own business for a number of years. Yeah. More recently, my my wife was a a full-time school teacher, secondary school, which is kind of, I don't know what you'd call that, college, I guess, in in, uh, US terms. In more recent years, we both felt to, I gradually reduced my hours. Claire has gave up her job a few years ago because we wanted to focus on ministry and God has graciously provided for us as we have stepped out in faith to do that. We've always felt a call to the church and to play our part in equipping and resourcing God's people. Recently, I felt it would be really good for us both to get some academic training in theology because everything we've received has been mainly through preaching and teaching in church contexts. And again, we felt the sense of the Lord's leading this to, to get a more theological training. It's given us a good grounding in theology to do this master's program. But there were options where we could specialize and where we both specialized in the worship modules. And in the final year, we were doing it part-time over three years. So in the final year, we got to choose the topic for our dissertation. And right from the beginning of the program, I'd felt I would like to do my dissertation on the Tabernacle of David, but I just need to find an angle. Because at the master's level, you really need to be interacting with other theologians. So you have to find a topic that where others have been writing about it. Which is particularly challenging on this topic, isn't it? It is challenging, really challenging. What has helped me is that there have been a few things written in the last few years History of Praise and Worship, for example, Lester Ruth's yeah. uh, book with Lim Sui Hong. And a student of his called Jonathan Ottaway has written a couple of papers where he's focused on the theolo- theology of the Tabernacle of David. So those were great resources for me to have 
to be able to draw upon. But the angle I decided to take as my main angle was the question of why it is that whereas many in Pentecostal and charismatic circles will see references to the Tabernacle of David in a couple of key scriptures that actually use the phrase Tabernacle of David or the Shelter of David or the Tent of David. Why that Charismatics and Pentecostals will see a reference to David's physical tabernacle there, but why many evangelical theologians don't regard it as a reference to the, the physical tabernacle that we've been talking about, but see it as a metaphor for David's kingdom or David's house. Yeah. I kind of felt I wanted to understand their perspectives and try and get some kind of dialogue going between that standard evangelical approach and the, the more charismatic or Pentecostal approach. And so that was my goal and had quite a bit of dialogue with a supervisor in order to try and find an angle that would be suitable for the kind of master's program that I was undertaking. It was a bit of a wrestle to find the, the, the way in. In the end, I did in three parts. In part one, I kind of traced the history of the, the tabernacle of David teaching over the last, basically mostly over the last 60 or 70 years yeah. since the time of the latter reign movement in the mid 20th century. And in the middle part, I looked at a number of evangelical commentators, books that refer to the key passage in Acts 15 that mentions the Tabernacle of David. And I wanted to see what their take was on the Tabernacle of David and why they had come to their conclusions and whether there were any out there who did see a reference to the the physical tabernacle that David erected for the Ark of the Covenant. And then in the final section, I had the opportunity to kind of let my brain run free a bit and think, so what is the significance of the tabernacle for the church today? Why, why even bother writing a paper like this? Yeah. What is, why is it so important? What's the significance of it? So that yeah. was kind of the structure of what, what I did. It's awesome. Yes, yeah, you did it. <laughs> and it's great. Let's maybe, maybe you could answer that last question first. Then maybe we could get into some of these key, key verses, such as Amos 9.11, which is then quoted in Acts 15, which talk about the restoration or the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. But like, why? I mean, that, that would be, to me, an, an important question. Why, why does this even matter? I mean, especially for, for folks that are tuning in there, they're, they love the presence of God. I mean, if they're listening to this podcast, they love to worship. They probably love to pray. They want to see revival. Why does it matter if an evangelical theologian interprets Amos 9-11 in a certain way? <laughs> yes, there's a few levels I could answer that question at. Um, yeah. At one level, and this is a slight tangent, but I am coming around to answer the question. Yeah, good. I've discovered, I discovered in the course of preparing my dissertation, the or something about the differences between the way Pentecostals tend to, and Charismatics as well, tend to do exegesis and do hermeneutics and study the scriptures compared to a standard evangelical approach. Um, Meaning how they interpret the scriptures. How they interpret right? yeah. the scriptures, yeah. yes. And this probably speaks massively into my own journey because the standard evangelical approach would be Craig Keener summarizes it well. He's written a book called um, About Spirit Hermeneutics. And in, on the cover of the, uh, the book, it says something about how can we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us once we've done proper exegesis of the scriptures. 
And so the standard evangelical mm. approach is we have to go through the appropriate process of exegesis first, and then the Holy Spirit has allowed free reign within the parameters of of the exegesis we've done. And I'm sure I'm doing a disservice to Craig in summarizing his views in that way. But uh, so that's a little bit of a crude kind of summary of the approach. But uh, sure. a Pentecostal or charismatic approach recognizes that the Holy Spirit wrote the word of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit is free to, to use them in whatever way he wants. And actually what we often experience in practice is that the Holy, the God moves just as he did in Azusa Street in the early 20th century. And only afterwards do we gain an understanding of how what happened relates to what the scriptures have, have actually have to say. Yeah. So there's a often a seismic event, a move of the spirit, that mm. then afterwards inspired teachers of the word gain an understanding of how this actually all fits into the inspired word of God. So it's it's not moving away from the necessity of being word people of the word, people yeah. who know our Bibles and root everything we do in scripture. But it's recognizing that sometimes we'll never get to the truth out of our own rational and logical analysis of the scriptures. Sometimes and often actually new revelations come by a move of God, mm. which is then followed by the spirit bringing a revelation, just as happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts That's chapter exactly 2. exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. And I would see Acts 15 as another example of yeah. that, uh, where the, the Holy Spirit suddenly is bringing revelation from scriptures that they all knew and loved but had never seen in the light that they're now seeing it in. And I, th I, I believe a lot, everyone will tell you that, that, or many people will tell you that the New Testament doesn't tell you much about how we as Christians should worship and doesn't give a lot of guidance as to what the worship life of the church of Jesus should, should look like. Mm. And I believe that therefore the tabernacle of David actually is potentially very significant because it provides yes. a framework for not detail of, of step by step how to worship but an understanding that god's presence needs to be at the very center of everything we're building and that what we're having god's presence in the center the most natural thing we do in response is is to worship him and to to live lives of worship something we haven't mentioned already which obviously many everyone who have read your book will be aware of is the amazing parallels there are between what david organized in his tabernacle in the worship life of Israel while he was king and the worship we see in the book of Revelation, especially in chapters right. four and five, yeah. where you've got the throne of God at the center with the father and the lamb on the throne. And you've got that surrounded by 24 elders, just as David had 24 worship teams, each led right. by a named Levite. And you have the myriads of angels, thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 angels in Revelation four or five surrounding God's throne. And in the same way, you have myriads, the myriads of the people of God surrounding the worship, the worship in David's time. And you have day and night uh, worship, whether it was 24 seven or not, we can't prove, but I like to think that at least by the end of his reign, it was 24 seven because he, that's what he knew God was worthy of. Yeah. So good. So you're saying that because we want to worship biblically, and in many ways, the New Testament does not give a lot of prescriptive answers to how exactly we should approach worship. If the tabernacle of David is a picture of how we should worship in the New Covenant as Christians, then it's really important, and I believe it is. Yes, I, 
I, I think that is what I'm saying. I, as I've studied this, I've come across some objections, which is because David's tabernacle is kind of a type, typological. It gives a picture, a type mm. of new covenant worship. It would be difficult to say that there's a commandment that we should worship in the way that, that David did, or that we should model our worship on the tabernacle of David. It provides a, a picture or a type rather than a commandment. Mm. And so some who have criticized the early teaching of the latter rain uh, movement, for example, and the books that came out in the 1960s and 70s, very much said this, this David's tabernacle provides the way that God has mandated that we should worship. And therefore, if you're not worshiping in the way that David did, if your worship isn't Davidic, then your worship is, is second best. And probably that was unhelpful. Yeah. yeah. Looking back, um, I would probably have been just the same as, as they were. So it's not a criticism at all. If, if I'd been in their movement that they were in at that time and got so excited by what they got excited by, I'd have been saying, everybody, come on, you got to do it like this. Uh, this is amazing. Um, but looking, looking back with hindsight, uh, 60 years on or whatever, we can recognize that that would have put people's noses out of joint in an unhelpful way. Yeah. But also, I actually believe that God has set it up the way he did deliberately because the kind of people he wants to raise up in the end times are people who worship him because we love him, not because we're mm. mandated by a verse in scripture that says thou shalt right. worship in this way or that way. One of my favorite pictures of the end time church is those amazing verses in the Song of Songs 8 where it talks about uh, the waters, many waters cannot quench love. And yes. I believe that the end time church, the bride that Jesus is coming back for, is a bride who's learning to love Jesus with the same passion and intensity with which he loves us. And mm. those are the kinds of people who won't need telling this is how you should worship because they'll all be there or they'll be there already. They'll be on their faces. Right. They'll be um, spending every possible moment in his presence. I, lo I love that. And it really, it goes back to what you were just saying about the, the spirit and, and understanding it from the scriptures too, is, is because as the Holy Spirit is drawing us to himself in love, like your journey, many times we'll be drawn into worship and, uh, and then we will understand what's going on. And in many, so uh, maybe, maybe in some ways that could be what David's tabernacle does is it gives us a, an understanding of what we're experiencing <laughs> as we're drawn into his presence by the Holy Spirit. As we experience the intimacy with him, uh, we go, Oh wow. Yeah, this is, uh, what we're seeing. This is what we're experiencing. So, um, Robin, this has been awesome. We're going to do something a little bit unusual for for the podcast today. We're going to record a second half. Rob and I are going to sit here and we're going to we're going to dive into this more, especially into Amos nine eleven, Acts fifteen, some of these prophecies about the restoration of the Tabernacle of David. What does that actually mean? Why on earth did they quote Amos nine eleven of all places? Maybe I'll ask Robin a little bit more about David's Tabernacle being twenty four hours a day or not. And uh, so we'll get into some of those kinds of questions. If you want to get the second half, though, I'm going to share that with a group that we have called the Tab Collective. So if you have my David's Tabernacle book, which if you're watching the video is right there over my shoulder, uh, if you have my David's Tabernacle book right in the front page uh, is a link where you can sign up for free to join the Tab Collective. You'll get on an email list and you can join a Facebook group 
And I'll be sending the second half of this conversation with Robin out to that group. And uh, if you want to get in on that and get the second half of this conversation, you can do that. Open up your book. And if you don't have it, obviously, you can get a copy at davidstabernacle.com or wherever you buy books. And then you can be a part of that community to dive deeper into some of these topics about the Tabernacle of David. Uh, But for those who are just tuning in here to the public podcast, uh, thank you for tuning in today. Robin, this has been awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you.